Hey, what's up? This is Elijah Beers, the Associate Youth Pastor of Impact Youth Ministries. Welcome to the Impact Podcast. We pray that this message will help you to live God's Word, love like Jesus, and be led by the Holy Spirit every single day. Let's go ahead and get into this week's sermon. If, if you guys could stand for the reading of God, God's Word tonight, I'm going to be reading out of Colossians chapter 1, verse 19 through 23. Colossians, chap, uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 19 through 23. And the Bible says, For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he is reconciled in the body of his flesh, his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Then lastly, verse 23 says, if indeed, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, immovable, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Tonight I'm going to be te- uh, preaching on the subject, the bloody cross. Um, you know, they can cancel Dr. Seuss, they can cancel um, the, the Washington Redskins, God forbid, but they'll never cancel the blood of Jesus. On the contrary, the blood cancels everything. All sin, all guilt and shame, and we, you know, the body of Christ, I feel, has really strayed from the power. And it's time we go back to the power, and there's no better place to start than the bloody cross. Not a cheap counterfeit cross, not one that was, that, that, that was cut and polished and pampered up and set in, a, set in a, a, a church and never preached on, but a bloody cross. That's where the power comes from. I give honor to the Lord Jesus Christ um, for entrusting me with this word. Um, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I, I, I stand before you as a steward of your word. God, you've trusted me with this gospel. God, I pray, Lord, that you would give me the words to speak, that you would speak through me, and that you would anoint these lips to speak your word. Anoint the ears that they may heard, that they may hear your word, God. Let this word go forth and not return void. Let us come back to the power. And in return, God, manifest your glory to us tonight. In your name we pray, amen and amen. It's time to go back to the power, people. Um, you know, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Um, God spoke and there was light. He said, let there be light. Uh, the spirit moved above the waters. Um, the earth was without form and void. Um, there, there's, this, there's these things called dispensations in the Bible that scholars have, have, have characterized and, 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 and chopped up and, and said, okay, this is the dispensation of this time. Right now we're in the dispensation of grace. Paul talked about that. That's the church age. Um, but you must go back to the start. And in Genesis chapter 1 to, verse th- to, to chapter 3, the shortest dispensation in the Bible, it's called the dispensation of innocence. Now, the dispensation of innocence is, was, is when man was connected to God. It was before the fall. Three chapters in the Bible, the shortest one, not in years, but in terms of chapters. Uh, the dispensation of innocence was when man walked with God in the cool of the garden. Um, there, was this, there was this connection. They walked with God. They saw God for who he is. There was no having to go into the holy of holies. God was there. God was walking with them. Then you get to the dispensation of consciousness. As soon as man ate, ate of that apple, sin entered into the DNA of the human body, and, and, the, and the eyes were opened. The eyes were opened. They could see that they were naked. They could see their shame. They could see the, the, their, their guilt and the separation between man and God. 
That's the dispensation of consciousness. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6 to now. We're still living in that dispensation. We're still living in the prior fall. We're still living in the time where sin has infected the very DNA of the human race. And because of Adam and Eve's fall, we now are still under the curse. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Genesis 3.21, also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God, now pay attention to this, the Lord God made tunics of skin for man and covered them with them. As soon as they fell, blood was shed. As soon as man fell, there had to be something to take its place. There had to be blood. There had to be something to die. So God slew this animal and covered them in the skin and the blood dripped down their back and for a second, temporary atonement was made. Their nakedness was covered up. The, the, their shame was covered up by the blood. There had to be blood. Something had to take Adam and Eve's place. Then you go to Genesis verse three or uh, chapter 3, verse 5, and, and it talks about the, the foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. The Bible says, And this woman's seed shall bear enmity with your seed, and the, and the heel of, of the woman's seed will bruise, or your head will bruise the seed of the woman's heel, and he will crush your head. Then we talk about, the, the Bible talks about God's preference over Abel's offering. Because Abel's offering was a sacrifice of blood. Blood was shed. Cain's sacrifice was something that he self-produced. We learn the principle here that it, it had to be blood. It couldn't be anything that we could plant and grow on our own. It had to be blood. Something had to die for atonement to be made. God's preference over Abel's sacrifice tells us that there's nothing that we can do on our own. There's nothing that we can produce and raise up before God and say, God, the connection's made. The atonement's made. There's something covering the gap now. It had to be blood. And as you look at the Old Testament and you look at all the chapters going from Genesis to Malachi, you see this bloody, depraved state of man constantly having to make atonement. Constantly having to go to war, constantly shedding blood, constantly being separated from God. We read in the book of Judges that, 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 that after a great victory, the Bible says that Israel did what was right in their own eyes. This constant cycle, this constant violent period of time from Genesis to Malachi. Lawlessness abounded. It was bloody. It was violent. You get to Leviticus and the Bible, you know, you see the institution of God's law through Moses. And, and, and you're looking at this and saying, well, how in the world? How in that world can any man follow this law? And, and, you know, it's often a book that us as Christians shun, especially, you know, this age group. We don't want to read Leviticus when we wake up in the morning. I mean, I, mean, I mean, it's hard to understand. We don't get it. But what you can get from Leviticus is that you cannot make it. You cannot make it without Jesus. Without Jesus, there's no way that all 613 laws you could fulfill. There's nothing that you could do to fulfill that law. The Bible says that, that Christ was the fulfillment of the law. Not on the contrary, he didn't break the law. He was the fulfillment. And what it means that when Jesus went into the grave and, and, and he rose again was when he went into the grave and he was confronted in the court. There was nothing legally that the devil could say. He couldn't flip through his page and say, all right, I can hold you here because you did this. Because the Bible says that Jesus approached the Pharisees and he said, which of you convicts me of sin? Which of you convicts me of sin? Jesus didn't know what it was like to be guilty. 
He didn't know what it was like to have his conscience seared, saying, why did you do this? Why, why did you think that lustful thought? Why did you curse your neighbor? He was never angry at, at, at man to the point where he sinned. He was never guilty because of something he said. He could not be convicted of sin. That's the fulfillment of the law right there. When Christ went into the ground, the devil and hell, death in the grave had nothing to hold him there. They couldn't say, you did this, so you got to stay here. They had nothing. So Christ was the fulfillment of the law, but we of ourselves could not do it. We live in a day and age where we try and produce something, the self-righteous attitude where we think we could come into the house of God, and because we're wearing a three-piece suit and fresh polished Oxfords, we can get a hold of heaven. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that he exalts the lowly, but he condemns the, 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 the exalted. I heard a quote, you know, I was in Robbie Grubb's small group, and he, he, he said to us, if humility is the anointing of the Holy Spirit, then pride is the anointing of Satan. You will get nowhere on your own. That pride is going to fall. The Bible says, take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for do, in, so, in doing so, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Take heed to yourself. They, therefore, who, he who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. There's nothing that we can do on our own. The, the, you know, we live in a day and age where just like Cain, we're trying to raise things up and, 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 and bridge the gap between God and man that was made from Adam. We can live in a, age, a day and age where we think because, you know, of our Pentecostal pedigree that we can, make, you know, we can make people shout and we can heal people and we can see revival just based on how we look in church and how we sing and how good we orate words. But I come to tell you tonight that until we get a little humble and until we get back to Calvary, revival isn't going to happen. We're, we're not going to see people healed. We're not going to see miracles. And we're not going to see God move. Until we come to our knees in prayer and understand that of ourselves, there's nothing that we can pr produce to bridge the gap between God and man. If you need, if you're lost and if you're depraved with where you're at in your flesh, there's nothing that you can do besides accept the fact that God sent his only begotten son to die for the world. Praise God. We have slapped away the hand of God and said we can do this ourselves. We've shunned God and in turn we've taken on more brokenness, more loneliness, more depravity, more depression, more anxiety. Because we've pushed away the hand of God and said we can do this on ourselves. Even in the body of Christ. Even in the body of Christ, we come up with programs. We come up with ways to get people to church that have nothing to do with the cross. Now, I'm not saying this church, but the body of Christ in general. We need to come to the conclusion that if it isn't the cross that draws man, it's best that they just stay outside. Because if they come in without the cross and they come in without the blood, then they're going to leave the church more broken than they came in. We need to get back to the power, church. And the power is at the bloody cross. As a result of acting like Cain, and just like Cain, we kill our brothers. Trying to pr pr produce a utopia where men can live in peace, where we can sleep good at night, where we can go without children being hungry, and with all this acceptance going on in the world, we can't produce peace. And in doing so, we kill our brothers. People are dying in the streets because of man's neglect to realize the fact that they can't produce peace without the cross. Lawless men are using ungodly means to reconcile themselves to a God they don't serve. Atheists, agnostics, unbelievers, people who serve the flesh and not the spirit. Constantly, there's an emptiness in man. There's a hole, a God-sized hole in man. I know you've heard it before. 
And because we can't feel that on our own, we're more broken. This world's growing cold, people. Men's hearts are growing cold. The love of many are growing cold. People's conscience are, are getting seared with a hot iron. There are people who despise the cross and come to church and preach a gospel that, that this world, that this word does not reflect. There is no reconciliation apart from the blood. Do we actually know what happened at Calvary? Or do we just think, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing to come into the house of God and see a cross and understand that there was a man who died on it? Muslims believe the same. Greeks believe the same. It's historically written that Jesus, in fact, died on a cross. Whether you believe that he rose from the dead or not, that's the difference. But historically, he died on the cross. We can't just know that he died on the cross. We can't just know that there was a man who was raised in Galilee and who went to, up to Calvary and died on the cross for no means. We've got to know that the man who died on the cross rose from the dead, and in doing so, he reconciled my brokenness to the Father. If we don't understand what reconciliation actually means, if we don't understand what the bloody cross actually means, we're never going to see revival. We're never going to see people healed. How can we preach healing when we don't know what healed us? How can we preach healing when we know the word of God says by his stripes we are healed? Just like Cain, we fail to recognize that it is the blood that saves, heals, and delivers. Some think that there is something they must do in order for people to be healed and delivered. There is no meritology with God. There is no partiality with God. There's nothing that you can do. There, 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 there's no length of time that you have to spend in prayer to earn some, uh, to, to, to pray somebody through to healing. And I understand that it is very vital for you to spend um, special time with God every single day. I understand that there, there, it is vital for us to actually earnestly seek God in, in, in prayer and in praise and in the word. But by no means, by no means is your goodness reflected in your prayer life. By no means are people's healing reflected in your prayer life. Because believe it or not, we don't heal people. We don't lay hands on people and ourselves heal them. It's the power of God who heals them. And if we don't know the man who died on the cross to heal us, we can't heal people. We'll never see anybody healed if we don't know the person who heals. It's not you. It's not me. It's not Pastor Thomas. It's not any pastor. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's always been Jesus. Healing comes from Jesus. Revival is not going to come but through Jesus. When revival comes, it's not going to be the community family church revival. It's not going to be the independence revival. I know we call it the, the, the Brownsville revival and the Azusa Street revival, but in reality, it's God's revival. That's just a title so we know where it happened. It's God's revival. And if we think for a second that we're going to slap a name and a label on a revival that hits this house, it won't happen. It's God's revival, and it's God's timing. That's how we end up with, with things like the prosperity gospel. And I'll go there. I'll go there. I'll go there. I'm not going to name drop because that's not my place. I wouldn't like to be talked about, but I will come against the prosperity gospel. Show $1,000 and you'll receive a healing. Show me one place in the Bible where Jesus charged an admission fee. Show me one place in the Bible where Jesus said, you got to wash your feet be before you come in here. 
Show me one place in the Bible where the disciples charged people to get healed. There's nothing. There's no amount of money that you could sow into any ministry to get healed. It's free. And when you take advantage of that, you slap the cross of Calvary away. And you say, because of your, your, the, the, the money that you sow into my ministry, because of what you can provide for me, you can be healed. It's not what I can provide for, 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 for a, a minister. It's what God can provide for me. And if it doesn't come from Calvary, I don't want it. If the healing doesn't come from Calvary, I don't want it. If the revival doesn't doesn't come from Calvary, I don't want it. First Peter 5 5, the Bible says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We all know the verse in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. The Bible says, In the year that King Uzziah died, pay attention to that. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting high and lifted up. The train of his road filled the temple. Uzziah died because he did a service that he was not supposed to do. He let his pride take a hold of him. He let his pride consume him and say, I can do something that I'm not supposed to do. So you can read Isaiah 6 verse 1 by saying, in the year that pride died, God moved. And God's not going to move until we die to ourselves and crucify our flesh daily. God's not going to move because we're somebody. God's going to move because we're nobody. We're not somebody, church. We're nobodies. We're nobodies for the kingdom. I don't care if anybody knows my name. I don't care if I go down with my tombstone saying, here lies a preacher. I don't care if anybody knows my name. And I don't care if I ever get the Friday night spot. All I care about is seeing God move and preaching the cross. Because that is the power. We must get back to the power. Who are we to think that God's going to move? Any way but the blood, in any way but the bloody cross. Years we've tried it. We've tried different methods. We've tried different ways. We've tried it. Uh, we've treated the house of God like an experiment. We're going to set up a program. If it works, we'll keep it. What a shame. What a shame the body of Christ has found. What a shame. Now, I'm, I, I don't want to get confused. I'm not talking about this house, but I'm preaching to a generation who isn't going to stay in this house forever. You're going to go on and do your own things. I just want to tell you, don't leave the blood. Don't leave the bloody cross. Don't leave the cross of Calvary. You'll never make it. When pride died, God moved. When pride died, God moved. Once we get past our motives and our agenda, God takes over. What is man that you are mindful of him? When we go through the blood, God will provide the means to get there. The Bible talks about Paul appealing to Caesar Nero. Paul, someone who should never meet anybody famous, someone who should never meet anybody of authority, is in, he appeals to Caesar, the head of the Roman Empire, the largest system of the world at that time, appeals to Caesar. And the Bible tells the story of Paul going, th going through the levels of the court to King Agrippa, to Festus. Finally, he's on his way to Caesar. And his ship crashed. And, and they're shipwrecked. And God charges him with the men on the boat. He says, if you stay in the boat, you will not perish. For I've given these men into your hands. And as long as you live, Paul, these men aren't going to die. And Paul rested in that confidence because when you go by the blood... When you go by the blood, you'll get to Caesar. 
When you go by the blood, God will provide the resources even if your ship is crashed. I don't care what you plan to do or what your dream is. If your dream was crushed and if it's afloat at sea or strangled up, I come to tell you the blood will get you there. Not that ship, not how big your ship is, not how big your boat is, not how big your dream is. The blood will get you there. I'm not where I'm at today because of how good I can speak. I'm not here today because of how good I look in church and how good I clap. When you come to the knowledge of the blood, when you come to that knowledge, that's when the power happens. When you come to the knowledge that I've made it by the blood of Jesus Christ, then you'll see results. Back to the power, people. Back to the power. The Bible says in Leviticus 17, 11, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for your soul. It is the blood. It is the blood that makes perfect, unending atonement. The blood provides. The blood, the, the blood provides solutions. The blood provides comfort. The blood up, um, provides perfect atonement, peace, infinite a God who's infinite is infinitely good, amen? A God who can't be understood, who's unsearchable like the deep waters. A God who can't be understood, a God who is infinite and eternal, is eternally and infinite good. The blood is the only solution for a fleshly crisis. In anatomy and physiology in college, we learned about the anatomy of the blood and, and how the blood provides all the resources to the body. In terms of when you get injured, and I was talking to Cody Stevens about this, and I was asking him, I said, Cody, explain the blood for me because I dropped out of nursing. Explain it to me. Explain what exactly the blood does. And he said, it's the transport system of the body. I-75 of the body. 275 east of the body. When something happens in your body, when, when there's a crisis, when you get an infection, it's the blood that supplies the epinephrines and all the chemicals that you need to recover. And the same thing in the body, the same thing in the body of Christ. When there's a crisis going on in the world, when there's a crisis going on in your life, when there's a crisis going on in the church, it's only the blood that provides the solution. Not a program, not a broken down cross, not a dusty Bible, but the blood provides the resources. The blood heals the wounds. The blood gives peace. Who doesn't know of the blood? Who doesn't know of what happened to Calvary? I come to tell you that the blood provides. Jehovah Jireh provided a lamb. And that lamb provided the blood. And that blood provides everything that you need. If you need a healing, it's the blood. If you need peace, it's the blood. If you need uh, anxiety to, to, to flee, it's the blood. If you need depression, it's the blood. Tell me something and I'll tell you it's the blood that provides. Give me something and I'll tell you it's the blood. Not some law that's passed in Congress. Not something that's going to change our school system that the superintendent puts in place. But it's the blood. It's the blood that cures poverty. I had a man come up to me one time and, and, and he asked me. I, I just asked him. We were up at the VU Park and Faith and I were eating Skyline. And I see this man, old man, sitting by himself. I said, hey, man, what's going on? I mean, I could just see that he was depressed. It didn't take a spiritual maniac to see that this man shouldn't be sitting up at the VU by himself with his head down drinking a beer. I said, are you depressed? And he said, yes, I'm depressed. I said, why are you depressed? And he goes on this story about, you know, how, how things have been happening in his life. And I begin to tell him about Jesus. Well, he refutes me uh, anonymously by saying, 
well, what about all these starving kids in Africa with flies coming out of their eyes? I said, it's not, man, it's not God's fault that man fell. It's not God's fault that these kids are starving. It's the man's fault who's in charge that didn't point to the blood as the solution for world hunger. It wasn't, it wasn't God's fault that man decided that they were going to go a different route and put some people under to save their country. It's the blood that provides. The blood keeps us. Oh, 2 Corinthians 5.14 says, it's the love of Christ that constrains me. It's the love of Christ that keeps me. It holds me. It's, the, it's knowing that God, in his infinite wisdom, came down as God incarnate, God in the flesh, and died for me. That's what keeps me. That's what keeps me. Knowing that when I was worthless, when I was broken, someone cared for me. For scarcely for a righteous man would one die. Yet even for a good man would one even dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. When I was without strength, Christ died for me. That's what, that's what holds me. Ask any hero of the faith. Ask anybody in the Bible. When you get to heaven, go ask Paul. Go ask Peter. Go ask Moses. Say, Moses, what happened? What, how'd you stay strong? How'd you keep on going forward? Because God told me that out of, Egypt, out of Israel, a prophet would arise and make atonement for all of Israel and for all of the world. Paul, how'd you make it through? I made it through because I knew that the love of Christ constrains me. And knowing that while I was still a sinner, Christ died for the ungodly. Ask him. Ask him. What, how'd you get through? How'd you get through? Really, how'd you, get, how'd you make it through the chaos of this world? It's the blood. It's the blood that saw me through. Even when, I, even when I stumbled, the blood saw me through. That's the testimony. When we get to heaven and, and we're singing the praises of God, we're not going to be singing, I made it through because of something that I did by myself. I made it through because of uh, uh, my parents taking me to church. Be the blood of Jesus Christ. You will never be able to outrun the love of God. I don't know who came here tonight and you've been running for a long time. You've been running from the grace of God. But until the day you die, you're always going to feel that conviction come by you and say, son, it's time to come home. Daughter, it's time to come home. God, the love of God will never stop running after you. I don't care what you did. I don't care what you've done before this service. I don't care what you've done in your life. No matter how bloody, battered up and disgusting you, you, you acted The love of Christ is there for you. Dare we not preach the love of Christ? Dare we not tell people that the love of Christ and the blood is what saves? The Bible says to prove to you that you'll never outrun the love of God. The psalmist of Israel said in in, in Psalm 139 verse 8, If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, you are there. His presence will never stop chasing after you. The love, the the color of love is red. And there's no better description of love than John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. That whosoever should believe on him shall be saved. That's what love is. That's what love is. That's where love ran red on a bloody cross. Scientology, if you drive down 42... Dixie Highway, and you see the Church of Scientology, it's amazing to me because they have a cross. It's amazing to me that the Jehovah's Witnesses have a cross. It's amazing to me that the Mormons also have a cross. The difference between their cross 
in our cross is that ours has blood on it. You can take that beaten up, ugly looking, whitewashed cross and you can burn it for all I care. But you give me a cross and you show me where the blood is and I'll say there's the power, there's the healing, there's the atonement power of Christ. You show me a cross with blood on it and that's a God that I'll serve. I'm not going to serve a God that never shed blood for me. Buddha never shed blood for me. Muhammad never shed blood for me. Krishna never shed blood for me. All million of the Hindu gods never shed one ounce of blood. But the Bible, the reason I serve Jesus is because there's a bloody cross. The love of Christ is not conditional. The love of Christ is not based on how good you are, how good you look, how good you've done. Unlike fake love, which expects something in return. And, and he's flirting, really. He's, he's, he's beating around the bush. He's, he's, he's getting closer to that fire. And every single time, Delilah says, Samson, what's the strength of your power? And every single time, Samson, Samson writes her off and says, oh, if you, if you tie my hair in seven weaves and you bind me with fresh strings, then I'll be like any other man. You, you do this thing and I'll be like any other man. Well, then Delilah says to him, Samson, Samson, wake up. You say that you love me, but you're hiding something from me, Samson. If you love me, if you love me, you'll do this for me. If you love me, Jonah, if you love me, you'll do this for me. I've heard it. I've heard it. If you do this for me, I'll love you. If you really did love me, Samson, you tell me where the strength of your power comes from. Talk about some fake love. Well, I come to tell you some true love. I didn't have to do anything. God didn't expect anything from me. He sent his son to die. Not that I will make the decision, but that I might. Knowing, knowing, knowing that some would not choose his son. He sent it just in case one might. It didn't take Millions of people to believe in Jesus for God to send him, son. One. What a God that we serve, people. How dare we preach anything but the cross. How dare we preach anything but the love of Christ. It's the love of Christ that changes. It's the love of Christ that pulls people from a pit. Think about that. God sent his son to die upon the cross. And Jesus drank of the cup willingly. Not that by force we would accept Christ. But because we might. And the majority of people wouldn't, and he still didn't. Statistics aren't going to show. You know, I can't, you know, there's going to be no way possible to think of the statistics of the, the ratio between true believers and non-believers. But I'm going to guess, based on the condition of this world, that there's a lot more people who need to be saved than there are in the kingdom of God. True love is reflected in John 3.16. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You might be sitting, you might be sitting in your sin right now. You might be sitting in your iniquity right now, but God still died for you. God still loves you. It doesn't matter what you did. Because you're sitting there, I want you to know that God still loves you. For something that sounds so good, how can many turn away the blood? How could anybody turn around that free gift of grace? The blood confronts. That's why. Why do people refuse the free gift of grace? Because the blood confronts. 
a bloody cross has the power to bring us face to faith with the wretch that we are. It shows us our sin. Because on the cross, an altar was made where the sins of the world was laid upon one man, one lamb, and was crucified. When we look at a bloody cross, when we look at a cross that's covered in blood, that says the king of the Jews on it. When we look at that cross, we're convicted of sin. That's why people pamper up a cross. That's why people take sponges and wipe away the blood. That's why people refuse to look at it. I'll take church. I'll take the small group. I'll take the Wednesday night prayer meetings. But don't you dare. Don't you even think about showing me a cross with blood on it. Because they're confronted with the fact that they shouldn't be living the way that they are. Because the blood and what Jesus did on Calvary has the power to change you. And a lot of people are too comfortable. They're a little too loose right now. Because they don't want to be changed by the gospel. A bloody cross has the power to convict us. A lot of people think that that's a bad thing. But if it wasn't for a bloody cross convicting me, there'd be no salvation for me. If I didn't know who I was and what I could be, I could never, I could never appreciate a, a cross with blood on it. If I didn't know how filthy I was, I would never, ever, ever be able to appreciate just exactly what Jesus did. But knowing the longer that I'm saved, the more I realize how filthy I am and the unspeakable evil that I am capable of. Don't you sit there looking at me cross-eyed and strange. If Jesus was not in your life, you'd be evil. Yeah, every one of us has the capability of doing unspeakable things, unspeakable evil. But because Jesus and that bloody cross washed me in a fountain that spanned the gap, I can stand here today and say, I'm on my way to heaven. Thank God for the bloody cross. Thank God for the bloody cross. The Bible doesn't tell us to stop with the cross. The Bible teaches us, from what Paul said, to hop on that cross. Get on it. Get on the cross. Because until you die, until you die to your flesh, you'll never become alive. I live, not yet I, but Christ. It's Christ that's alive in me. Caleb died two years ago, and sometimes Caleb tries to get up off that cross. But every single day, i got to wake up and say, Caleb, stay up there. The life of Christ has to live within me. Every day, every day, get upon the altar. Every day, kneel at a bloody cross. Every day, kneel at a cross that convicts you and confronts you with sin. We want access without entry. We want to stop at the cross but not go through it. Revival doesn't come without going through the cross. Healing doesn't come by stopping at the cross. The cross is not some tourist attraction that we make a pilgrimage, a pilgrimage to every year and take a look at it and say, oh my, what happened here was awesome. No, the cross is something that we go through. We go through the cross. Once we get on the cross, then you learn how to live. A lot of people want to tell you, I'll get saved after I live a while. Nobody, nobody, you've got it wrong. You're never going to learn how to live until you come to the knowledge of the gospel of the truth that is able to save your soul. I thought I knew how to live. I thought I knew how to live. I thought I knew what fun was. I thought I knew how, how, whoa, whoa, what life was all about. I thought I knew how good it was to be QB1 and everybody coming up to me and saying, oh, Caleb, well, good game. Good game, Caleb. And then inviting me to parties and then me waking up at 3 o'clock with the worst hangover you've ever experienced in your life. And then waking up and doing it all again. I thought I knew how to live. Man, what a life I had. 
But until I came to the knowledge that if I don't die, if I don't get on the cross myself, I'll never have peace. I'll never have joy. I'll never have comfort. I'll never have access to grace and mercy. Until Jesus came. Until the bloody cross revealed itself to me. Access to the goodness of God without entering through the bloody cross. We want access without entry. We want access to, to the goodness of God, the blessings of God, without actually coming to a place where we ourselves die to our desires. 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 2 says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter days some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, teaching lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience to sear with the hot iron. Church, the great apostasy is not tomorrow. The great apostasy is not some, some far out in the future. We are seeing it right now. We are seeing great teachers of the word. I don't have to say anything else. We're seeing great teachers who taught the truth, who taught true doctrine of Jesus. Truth. He taught truth, but himself could not live by it. And in fact, died. We want to teach something we don't live by. We want to know something that we're never going to take home with us. We want to meet a Jesus who doesn't get in our business. And in turn, the great apostasy has infected the body of Christ by teaching a doctrine of cheap grace. Cheap grace. Grace that didn't cost anything. Grace that Jesus never even had to die for. If it was that cheap, no one's blood had to be shed. Cheap grace. It's loose. People can, people can go to church Look at a cross and say, oh my, what a wonder Jesus is and sing the songs and go along with the, with the praise and worship and the drama and go home never changed. Go home the same person, cheap grace, cheap grace, come as you are and stay as you are. They treat the blood of Jesus as unnecessary. They treat the blood of Jesus as some gory, uh, scary thing and horror to look at. Embrace it. Embrace the gore. Embrace the reality of how bad it was that Jesus was whipped with the cat of nine tails and beat for our iniquity and he was, his beard was plucked out. Come to the reality of the sufferings of Jesus. Come face to face with it. There's power in it. There's power in knowing that God did that for me. And there's a bloody cross for me. The blood is avoided because the ramification of a bloody cross and of the blood is a conviction of sin. So they try and find detours around the bloody cross. I'm getting ready, I'm getting ready to close. If we could all stand. All throughout the Bible, and I'm coming full circle here. All throughout the Bible, men were trying. Sacrifices were made. Good men died and, and, and worse men lived. It comes full circle. To the cross of Calvary. The cross is the connection. There was a gap between God and man. All throughout the Bible. When Jesus died upon that cross. Like Tad said last week I think it was. The cross has no power. A cross has no power. A cross was the means for us to span the gap. For us to be reconciled. That was the altar. That was the bridge and the blood opened up the gates. Now I, I realize that most of us are saved. I understand that. I understand that most of us have experienced Jesus and know Jesus and spend time with Jesus. But there's coming a day 
and it's happening now where the blood is going to be disregarded. And if you don't stay in the blood, if you're not still covered by the blood daily, my friend, death awaits you. If you leave that blood, there's nothing holding, you, holding Satan back from coming to you. The blood is a hedge. It's the connection between man and God. It's where I can commune with God. That's where I can enter the Holy of Holies. That's where I can communicate with God and find my peace and find my strength. It's the blood. It is the blood. The bloody cross spanned that gap. John 12, 32 says, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all peoples to myself. And because he was lifted up, all men, all men and women have the opportunity to accept Christ and accept what he did on Calvary and in turn find everything you need. Yeah. Not by merit, church. It's nothing that we will do to the cross and not through the cross. Lastly, Satan is at the bottom of that cross. He's right at the base. He's sitting right there. And everybody who comes with the intention of changing their life, there he is. He's right there. He's, he's, he's sitting right at the cross with his legs crossed. And he's saying, oh, you really want to go that path? You really want to make that decision? You really think that it would be a good idea to put your reputation on the line to get up on this ugly, disgusting, bloody cross? And then you hear the condemnation. Satan says, remember what you did. Remember what you did. Remember, remember all the sin. You are so unworthy. You are so unworthy. Christ died for everybody but you. And right at the, the front of that bridge, being the bloody cross, Satan's, Satan sits there and, and, and weeds him out, saying, you'll never make it. The blood isn't for you. But I've come to tell you tonight that the Bible calls Satan the accuser of the brethren. And let me just turn, turn in the Bible real quick. Revelation 12.10. The accuser of the brethren. Accusing us day and night. Day and night. Trying to let condemnation set in. Trying to condemn us that we'll never be worthy. We'll never make it. That the blood isn't for us. That we are worthless, still worthless. And we're going to die has been cast down. And when condemnation is cast down, Romans 8.1 says, there is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Those who are in Christ Jesus, as soon as you step on the blood, as soon as you walk on that bridge and you're covered by the blood, condemnation leaves and peace sets in. And like I said before, I know a lot of us are saved. I didn't come here to just preach to unsaved people. Revival is not going to come by our own means. Revival, healing, the gifts of the Spirit, the operating and in, in, in the interpretation of tongues, all nine gifts of the Spirit will not come unless it's through the blood. Thank you for listening to the Impact Podcast. We hope that it blessed you as much as it blessed us. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at impactym. We love you. We hope you have a great rest of your day.